Welcome to the Emotional Fortitude Podcast. How to build the emotional fortitude to win in life and in business. No fluff, just real-world results. I'm your host, Ida Marmorani, ex-Israeli Special Forces, former undercover agent, jiu-jitsu black belt, and mindset expert. Hey, so I'm here today with a good friend and former client, Noel Andrews. He is the owner of JobRack. And after 15 years of recruiting and leading teams with large corporations and technology functions, Noel is now the owner of JobRack. It's a company that helps people find and source talent from Eastern Europe. Correct? That's right, Itama. Hey, man. All right. And Noel was a former client. We worked together in, I want to say, mid-2020. Mm-hmm. And we spoke about a month ago. We just had this 15-minute catch-up. And you're like, I have this kind of issue. And we kind of broke it down. But on top of that, you just told me what you were doing these days, and I thought it was amazing. So I wanted to hop on and share it. So why don't you tell us for this, just for everyone listening, where you kind of started when we were working together, like JobRack 1.0, and what 2.0 has come today. And we'll talk about what helped you get there as far as mindset. Yeah, so thank So yeah, brief summary. So I bought JobRack back in 2018. Uh, it was it had been sidelined. Um, the guys that owned it before had kind of worked on it really hard, but then it was uh, kind of a bit of a sideline for, for their big thing. Um, and it was doing $15 a month, one $5 a month in revenue um, <laughs> when I bought it. And so, which means it wasn't very expensive, but it also means that I, I have the accolade for buying a business for an infinity multiple. So I don't think too many people do that. Um, but there's also some wonderful vanity metrics about, you know, 3,000 Xing your revenue and things like that, So uh, which is good. So, yeah, we uh, I focused very heavily for the first couple of years on yeah, what I referred to as JobRack 1.0. So a very conventional DIY job board, you know, money while you sleep, in a sense. People paying $199 per job post and making sure they had a great service. Um, but I wanted it to be bigger. Um, and, uh, you know, when you're kind of charging that much, you can't kind of spend an awful lot of marketing unless you've got very, very deep pockets. And so JobRap 2.0 was a shift into hiring services. And uh, that's what has powered our growth. That's what has got us to, you know, where we're rapidly uh, heading towards being a seven-figure business um, and getting me to uh, finally to the stage of getting a, you know, sensible paycheck from the business, which is a, a big milestone. Very nice. And so here's the main thing I really want to talk about today. What we talked about is you've now moved to London since we, we started working together. And you said that's been a big, big shift in helping you really just kind of grow and do bigger things. And a theme is that a lot of people don't recognize is how much our personal lives affect our ability to honestly be effective in our business. And for you, there was a major shift around that. And I would love it if you'd be open to talking about that, kind of what, what happened there and how, how that all worked out. So we can give people the background. Yeah, sure thing. So I, I was living in the southwest of England. Uh, I was married and kind of living a very conventional and, and a good life. And um, certain things just kind of weren't just kind of weren't resonating in some in some senses. And I was having thoughts around, like, what did I want? What was really, really most important to me for life and for kind of mid to long term kind of future. And so when we started working together, the, the first thing was very much around, like, what's my why? Right. What did I really want? And I'm in a community in the dynamite circle where kind of people focus on this quite a lot and they've written quite a lot about it, which was very kind of inspirational. And it was clear to me that I didn't have a why I wasn't really sure. I knew there were some things I wanted to do, but not necessarily why. And as a result, I didn't have that kind of driving force to, you know, kind of keep me going kind of day to day. Um, <clears throat> so we did a kind of a, some really, really great work over the course of like kind of like six, seven months or so. And the first few months of that was figuring out, right, well, actually, what's most important to me? 
how do I want to feel every day? And some of those are really comfortable. Some of those are really uncomfortable and uh, happy, happy to, to, to kind of dig into those too. But one of the kind of outcomes, partly of the work that we did and partly of me getting clear about what was really important to me was that, you know, I did choose to kind of change my uh, kind of my personal situation. Um, so that involved a kind of a, a kind of breakup of the relationship, a big, big change to kind of home life um, and me moving from the southwest of England and up to up to London at the back end of 2020. Um, so, yes, yeah, so a real, real big shift. Um, it was the right thing. And I'm very fortunate and pleased that the, you know, I'm still very, very good friends with um, you know, my ex and get on really well with my stepsons. And we've all got really good close relationships. And some of that is, I think, is through how we've chosen to do it. It doesn't, doesn't all have to be throwing frying pans and, and arguing. Um, but yeah, that was the, that was kind of the background. And then the, kind of the, the big shift into, you know, effectively, you know, a, a very different and very new life for me. Yeah. So to distill this for the audience, I think what happens a lot of times is when we feel there's certain friction in life, but we haven't really clarified what we want, that friction is not going to go away. But once we really clarify what we want, then we can set out a certain intentionality about how do we want to live our life and how does that look? And then, like what I'm assuming you said, then certain uncomfortable decisions or realities had to be faced because it wasn't aligned with what you really wanted. Is that correct? Yeah. And even like before that, even when we were thinking about how did I want to feel every day, and uh, the thing that you said to me once, you said, uh, yeah, so you want to feel appreciated. And yeah. like, that's the mo one of the most, I've most kind of times that I've ever really bristled, like, because it, I felt, well, no, that's really needy. And it was my own interpretation of like, what does it mean to, to be appreciated? And, and ironic, given how my entire strategy and my entire ethos is be helpful and friendly. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it was interesting to kind of like dig into that yeah. and go, whoa, like, it was, again, it was just triggering at the semantics of a particular work but yeah then there were obviously other things as well and and i worked through a lot of stuff around you know well who am i to want more who am i to want different when i had a you know by all conventional standards a really really good life yeah so let's dig into that let's talk about because i remember when we first talked about the whole beliefs and all that you're like nah man i think i'm good i don't think i have any and we were the first literally the first person i've ever worked with that said no nah, i think i'm good on that part i don't got any but now you're so open about it and you're so clear, like this was actually the thing that was holding me back. This was a big domino. So what was that process for you of recognizing this is perfectly valid for me to want more? It doesn't mean that I'm a bad person or that I'm greedy or whatever it may be. So I think there was a few things. <clears throat> so one was around kind of conversations and kind of deep and open conversations. And I'd realized I went to an event uh, out in Bangkok. And when I came back from that event, I was having a chat with some other people that had been there. And they were like, oh, it was amazing. Like all the kind of deep open conversation it was just so good. And I kind of had a little moment. Like I was like, hmm, yeah, I hmm, didn't, didn't really feel that. And then I was like, well, why? And, and I, you know, I had good conversations, but not that kind of deep open conversations. And ultimately it was because there was just a, a misalignment with me and, you know, the kind of in a little bit the life I was living um, and the things that I wanted and the things I kind of almost, I hadn't realized that I wanted. And it's a bit like me saying to you, and you know, excuse the phrase, but it's a bit like me saying to you once upon a time, yeah, yeah I don't think I've got any head shit. Uh, you know, I'm being good. And that was just a really clear indication of that I didn't spend time just thinking and reflecting and feeling. Um, and, that's a, and that is a, a work in progress um, across a, a few different aspects of life. And there's, there's a lot of things that I've done for many, many years to prevent me needing to feel negative emotions um and to kind of like just kind of short circuit that so yeah it, it kind of started very much with that we're well, figuring out what did i want 
and then just kind of getting comfortable with right well actually there are i have got some headship i have got some kind of limiting beliefs and then right going right which of these are most important to deal with first and then you know kind of breaking those down and and some of it is just a reframing um whether it's as simple as me having a a conversation with a friend about treadmill sprints and we're both into like really hard workouts and he said to me one day he's like yeah, yeah, yeah i'm doing like sprints at like 20 kilometers an hour and my mind was just blown i was like hang on, what? The treadmill goes that fast? I, I didn't think it went past 16. I thought it was 10 miles an hour. And suddenly it was like someone had just opened up this opportunity that I could go faster. Um, yeah. And again, it's the same thing with limiting beliefs. It's that bit of breaking down and just almost kind of exposing myself and my mind to the idea that actually more or different might be possible and that I might want that. Yeah, it's like, I think a big part of it is understanding that the limiting beliefs sometimes, it's, regardless of the limiting or not, they're just false. And that's the big thing that sometimes we wake up to and we're like, whoa, if this is really just not true, forget about limiting, positive, all that kind of jazz, but this is just a false belief and I can let go of it. It really frees you a lot. And to kind of encapsulate everything you said, the way I looked at it from the outside, you wanted to have, from what I remember, it was feeling appreciated, living, uh, constantly evolving and having the freedom to pursue. You wanted to pursue more things, try new things, grow, et cetera, et cetera. And when I looked at it, there were a couple of constraints that were stopping you from doing that. First was the clarity on what do you actually want? What does this actually mean? Like, why do you want to do all this? And then once you got clarity on that, you could create intentionality around it. And you create a game plan. Remember when we worked down, we broke down, like, what does this actually mean? How do you need to build? What do you need to do? And then the last part was the whole emotional fortitude part about the beliefs. And what I would love to say from your story to anybody out there is if you think you don't have anything, that means you probably have such a wealth of potential if you actually tackle this because you haven't even really taken on the beginner gains of starting to notice, okay, I have this, I have that, but you're completely blind to something. You could have so much potential there. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And just, you know, I give one very specific example that wasn't like a particularly emotional one, but you know, one of the things that we realized is that for me, if I don't see visible results, I feel like I'm not making progress. And that was a huge one across business, across personal life, across like weight and food and all things like that. That was like a really significant one that's kind of really stood out. And as soon as, you know, we identified that, it just enabled a shift to like, well, no, hang on. If I just do the right things, the results will come. Yeah, that was, I remember that was a big one. I actually had it in my notes to bring it up. I want to talk another one that actually, I remember it affecting your business a lot because you came from a consultancy background where your job was literally, hey, no, just be around and put out fires if they come about. And we realized that you had basically subconsciously created a definition of success to put out fires. If I put out fires, that means I'm successful. And when all of a sudden we broke that down and said, is this really, is this really successful or is thinking strategic successful? That's when things took off a lot. So I would love for you to kind of elaborate on that from your perspective, how it went down and what advice you can offer on that. So I'd spent best part of 15 years working hard being very decisive, lots of rapid decision-making in often firefighting type situations in very, very large corporations, um, kind of getting shit done. That was, that was what I did. And that was what I was brought in to do. And I loved it and I enjoyed it. I loved the pace and everything that went with it. And, you know, you get a certain amount of recognition, you get known for being, you know, we've got a problem. He's the go-to guy. There's water pouring through the kind of the data center roof and the, the server room roof. No one's going to fix that. You know, it, it just, this is the team we need. And that was cool. 
but then as I kind of, uh, as I gained more experience and I got, like said, into roles where I was kind of an insurance policy, right? So I was there yeah. that actually I was valued on my contribution, not the hours worked. And that was difficult to reconcile initially. But then you recognize that actually, yeah, you know, the bum on the seat time, the number of hours you're at the laptop is not actually a measure of kind of success and a measure of value. And that, you know, getting kind of comfortable with that was key. And that has carried forward into kind of how I work now. So there are times when, you know, I just need to be, you know, kind of in front of uh, in chair time, in front of laptop, doing the things. But there's other times when actually the best thing I could do is just take four, take half a day away or off and then do a one hour of absolute solid quality, like strategic work. And that is recognizing when that's the case, when you just need to grind stuff out versus when you just need to take the time out and then do the kind of the top quality, the, the big things. That's been the biggest learning for me. And it's a continual learning for me as I try and, you know, improve how I focus on things, um, improve how I think about things. So, you know, trying to reflect at the end of the day and going, what was the quality of what I did today? Not what was the quantity. Do you think that's what allowed you? I was going to ask exactly that. Like, what do you think has allowed you to make that, that change? Especially someone who said like, you like seeing instant results. Mm -hmm. You like going on the treadmill, seeing yourself sweating. It's like, okay, I'm getting a workout. What allowed you to actually make that leap of faith almost to say, I don't have to see instant results, but I'm going to make the effort and hopefully something big will come of this. So a little bit of evidence. So just a little bit of, you know, you do something and then a little while later it comes good and then just going to go, well, what if I did more of that? And, you know, it might be delayed and that's okay. Spending, you know, obviously the work that we didn't just identifying that and just, you know, writing it down and having it and saying, actually, that is true. If we do the right things, the results will come. You know, I, I tried for years to, you know, I'd set fire to $10,000 on Facebook ads. I tried all kinds of different strategies. And I was always looking for that perfect marketing strategy for anything. And then I realized that actually being helpful and friendly is a perfectly valid approach to build a successful business. And again, that that's not an overnight kind of thing. Um, so I think for me, it was you just shoot once. It's not. No, yeah, exactly. You just got to kind of leave it. And that's why it needs to be authentic. And that, that's what great, great for me that it is. So I think it was just trying it and then just seeing some little green shoots of, of success and results from it. And then this is all across both, both business and personal as well. And then just trying it and then just kind of thinking, well, what if I do more of that? And it's still a work in progress, right? It, it will always be a work in progress. Yeah. But I spend a lot more of my time now being strategic. And, you know, there was one particular moment that we had that was a real shift. But really, it's just you know, try and do the things, see the results and just have confidence that if they are the right things, then, you know, the results will come. Yeah. What was that moment? I'm curious. What was when, that moment for you? So we were talking about how much money I wanted to earn. And um, so <clears throat> at the time, JobRack 1.0, the target, I really wanted to get JobRack, what, uh, JobRack to be a six-figure business. Right? I wanted to hit $100,000 in revenue, in annualized revenue. And you were challenging me, perfectly validly, to be clear, to, well, I knew what JobRack 2.0 was going to be. I knew what the done with you and done for you hiring services were going to be. They were 10x the price of the job posts in JobRack 1.0. And you were challenging me going, well, why don't you just do JobRack 2.0? Because you're going to get six figures way quicker. And but in my head, it was like this unfinished thing. I was like, no, 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 I want to get the job post mm -hmm. to it. And that kind of like had to just kind of like bubble for a little while before I kind of did make that jump. But you'd said to me, we were talking about how much I wanted to earn. 
and I said a figure and then you were like, and it was like kind of 10K a month, right? Good, good salary, six figure salary. And you said, well, what if you took home 50K a month? And it takes a good amount to like trigger me financially. I feel I'm reasonably comfortable with spending money, stuff like that. <laughs> but I was just like, uh, uh, I was like speechless and just like, again, mind blown. And at the time I was like, huh, I don't know. What would I do with that money? And literally I was just speechless kind of thing. And it kind of, and now as I'm looking ahead, that is less of an issue. You know, I, um, I had an application recently, so I'm hiring for a, an assistant for myself. And I had someone apply who has experience with a luxury concierge service, right? And one of the things that she wrote is she's very experienced in arranging private jet travel. And there was a little bit of me that was like, okay, there's a good few reasons why she's not the right candidate for the role. But for that reason alone, I really like the idea of having someone on the team that knows how to arrange <laughs> private jets. And so we had some good fun with the team going, no, we're not quite at that stage. In fact, we're nowhere near that stage, just to be really clear. But the idea of going kind of like, you know, arrange the jet, send it to bring the team to London, just it, it was quite funny. But yeah. then there's a little bit in like, that's not, it's not completely insane. Um, you know, so it was that moment where you were just kind of, it was that challenge to think bigger and it's very easy to kind of box ourselves in and think at a particular level that is comfortable. Yeah. I remember the 20 K I think was your ceiling from what I remember the mindset ceiling. As soon as we hit 20 K mm -hmm. you were like, I don't know if that's comfortable. That's that, that might be a bit mm -hmm. too much. Why would I even need that? I was like, why not? What's wrong with having that? Cool. Um, let me ask this. Is there anything that we didn't cover? You're like, this was a big lesson. This is something that really helped me get from where I was to where I am today that I think a lot of people out there could use, they could utilize, and it could just help a lot of people. This was my experience. The single thing for me over this last few years that has transformed the quality, I think, of the relationships and the connections that I've got is being vulnerable being open and vulnerable and learning how to do that. And frankly, it's been remarkable, whether it's with people that are in, you know, my kind of community, entrepreneurs, business owners, etc., or whether it's friends that I've had for 20, 30 years. As soon as I wasn't just the guy that the Duracell bunny that just got shit done, it was always plowing through, it was doing everything kind of thing. As soon as I just showed vulnerability and just talked really openly. It was really interesting how it just friendships just ratcheted up levels, like just went to levels that we've never been near before because people felt comfortable in then opening up. And that is something that is really like hyper important to me. A big part of my life right now is making sure that you know, I'm always having, you know, striving for better quality conversations and, you know, getting past the, you know, the shit chat. The, the small talk stuff like that and going kind of deeper with people and so me being vulnerable and me being open is what has enabled that so that i think is the um probably the single thing and that came from you know a lot of that came from the work we did and then it then it, a lot of practice yeah so i was gonna ask that because you you're a fan of the small steps like you said i took small steps i saw that it worked and then i kept moving forward so how would you recommend somebody take a small step with this, whether it's with a significant other, whether it's with a business partner or a business relationship? How did they start that path? How did you start that path? So with the vulnerability, I, I went, jumped in at the deep end a little bit on that side of things you because did. there was a huge amount going on in life and there was a lot of change going on. And so I just started talking to people about it. Um, 
I think for anyone else in, you know, maybe not contemplating quite such a big change, a good question that I've come across recently is what's niggling you? And this doesn't always translate well, but like a niggle is like a minor annoyance. And so if you ask someone, you know, what's frustrating you right now? Well, a lot of people would be like, yeah, nothing much really. I, I don't get that frustrated. But if you like, if you say like what's niggling you right now, and then then people can kind of open up with kind of, oh, well, actually this is, you know, this is a little bit of a thing. Um, but for you personally and asking yourself that question, just being, you know, actually, what would I, if there were no holds barred, if there were no social conventions that you needed to abide by, you know, what would you just like to be really open with? Um, and actually, this often works better with strangers than than with people you know, right? But the, yeah. the value you get from no being open with people you know, yeah, exactly, no consequence, right? So I think it's just spending a little bit of time and going, you know, what would I, what would I love to share with someone, even if they just listen and they don't respond, and then just just try it. Yeah. I, I want to expand on that because I think that's so valuable. So what I've seen in a lot of people is they use the word frustrated. People don't give themselves permission to voice what they don't like until they're, let's say, at a level one through 10, eight frustrated. And what Nola's saying, what if you just give yourself that permission even when you're in level one? And you don't have to do it with all the aggression, any anger or anxiety or whatever it may be. But just when this starts, something starts to bother you, just be open about it. And you can do it in a really peaceful and a great way. And it can get you also better results. And I think how you were saying at the very beginning of our conversation about is this okay to do this? Earn more money to live a different life, whatever it may be. It's the same thing here. It's like it is okay to also voice your displeasure before it gets to a boiling point. It doesn't have to get to a boiling point for people to give themselves permission to say this is not okay for me anymore. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, so one of the things that I've worked on that I've been very open about now for the last few years is, you know, I've, I've historically, and yeah, let's say historically, suffered with food challenges. Right. So I would eat to flag an emotion effectively. And I'm a master at this. I am really, really good at this. Right. So working with someone recently and, you know, I learned about the three F's of food. Right. And you eat for fun, you eat for fuel and you eat to flag an emotion. And so it was suggested to me that sometimes I would feel a negative emotion and then I would eat and then I would eat kind of mindlessly. And I was like, nah, I don't do that. that that's not quite right. <laughs> and the person I was working with and she was like, uh, you sure? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm way more advanced than that. I never actually feel the negative emotion. I am so highly tuned that I can <laughs> have like a chocolate bar and I can go straight to eating. And, and this, is, this has been fascinating as a realization kind of thing. And so uh, I'm working at the moment on actually feeling the feelings. And I had a moment like a couple of weeks ago where I felt the feelings and uh, basically I've been told that I couldn't work out for a couple of weeks because I'd uh, sprained my wrist. And I don't like being told that I can't do things. I don't like being anything less than 110%. And so like I was in a place where I could have bought food. I looked at the food and I was like, no, that's not going to solve it. That's not, I know what's going on here. It's not going to solve it. And so I just sat with these uncomfortable feelings. And I remembered messaging my, uh, my coach that I'm working with. And I was just like, okay, so I'm doing it, but this feels rubbish. I don't like it. Like what do normal people do when they feel these, feel these feelings? And she came back and said, well, you know, the interesting definition of normal. And so what I'd say to anyone kind of listening is, you know, for me, it's really easy. Like, I know that historically I've turned to food when instead of feeling, you know, a negative emotion. For other people, it might be drink. Other people, it might be all kinds of different things. But sometimes you actually have to look at your bit, the behavior to figure out what's really going on, because you might not be feeling those emotions. And so whatever your circumstance might be, whether you're not getting where you want in business or you're not spending the time how you want to do or food or drink or drugs or whatever, 
sometimes it's almost looking at that behavior and what are you doing and then thinking about well, why am I doing it and if you're doing something that you later think mm, yeah that wasn't ideal then you know perhaps there's something else beneath that of going on and what is it is it that you're not really happy is it that you're not living the genuine life that you want is it that you feel or your body and your mind is, is conscious that you're capable of more but it's a fear or this kind of like you know false belief or limited belief and so that's a big thing for me recently is coming across the idea that actually our behavior can inform and guide us where maybe we're not so emotionally attuned as, as we might like to be. Yeah, I want to I want to summarize that in, a, in two ways. I think you said it is really great. First off, basically, if you have not really dealt with your emotions ever, you need to do it because they are there. Just the fact that you ignore them doesn't mean that they're not there. and doesn't mean they don't influence your behavior. And that's a big thing to be cognizant of. I think a lot of people don't want to deal with it because then they're afraid they're going to get sucked down. It's actually going to be a hindrance to them because they're going to get all emotional and sappy or volatile, whatever it may be. But it's actually the opposite. You actually dealing with it and confronting it allows you to build a certain sense of fortitude around it where it doesn't control you as much and you're aware of it. So that's number one. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Right. And two, what you were saying about there's ways to know with our behaviors. A model I love is the ABC triangle. He says the A is affect, B is body or behavior, and the C is cognitive. So if you notice and you can ask somebody, when I get frustrated, when I get a bit anxious, when I get a bit angsty, whatever it may be, first off, how do you think I feel? What is the vibe I give off? Am I angry? Am I agitated? Am I tense? Am I nervous? You can understand that. B is the body or behavior. So physically, what happens? Do I pace around? Do I crack my knuckles? Do I get a cold sweat in the back of my neck? Are my palms shaky? Whatever it may be. And finally, C is the self-talk, the cognitive. And if you can understand what you say to yourself during these times, you can catch it. So that way, when it starts popping up in your head, you're like, oh, wait, I'm being emotional. Because one of these cues just popped up. And it's a really powerful way to understand what you're going on. You have to take a step back and say, okay, I'm emotional right now. Let me not act on something that I might regret later. And let me understand what's going on here. Yeah, definitely. And the, uh, like, almost like the third little summary I'd add, it's just a few words that I heard on a podcast recently is, Feeling the feelings will make you rich. Very true. Very true. Cool, No, I really appreciate it, man. And I love seeing your success. Like, everywhere where, where Job Rack started 1.0, where it is right now, like, here you're on your way to seven. That's amazing, man. Good to be happy. Thanks, for you. man. And thank you for being here. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Emotional Fortitude Podcast. Please tell a friend if you enjoyed it and found value in it. Three last things before you go, though. If you feel like someone else with your exact skill set and abilities could be accomplishing more than you currently are, that's a mindset and emotional access issue. And here are three ways I'd love to help you conquer any internal limitations, go big and win. One, three quick ideas Tuesday newsletter. It's a weekly email with three quick ideas around one aspect of elite performance and how to approach it differently to get better and faster results. People say it's the most thought provoking and impactful two minutes they spend in their inbox each week. It's easy to sign up to and easy to cancel, and you can sign up at edamomryan.com slash three ideas. Two is the Emotional Fortitude Micro Course. It will help you build the emotional fortitude and confidently tackle any goal. It's the complete, nothing held back, emotional fortitude system in five simple parts. It's all under five minutes each module. See it, use it, and win. And it's completely free at edamomryan.com slash course. And number three, lastly, if you want to dive in and aggressively level up, the Arena Mindset Accelerator might be for you. It's a six-week intense sprint for entrepreneurs who are up for a dramatic transformation. It's an interactive live program where you'll be working with me in a very hands-on way 
to get clarity on what you want, build an effective mindset to optimize for your goals, and establish elite emotional fortitude that would allow you to overcome any fear or doubt that could get in your way. You can learn more at itamarmorani.com slash accelerator. You can find all of these links in the show notes below or go to itamarmorani.com and have a look around. Until next time, who dares wins. <laughs>